Hey church, so glad to be able to be here with you today and excited to continue to dive into God's word together. To get us started today, I want to ask you a question. Now you're going to have to dive back in memories to when you were a kid, but when you were a little kid, who was someone that you would often pretend to be? Was, was there a certain person or action hero or something along those lines where, where you're like, man, I, I always would pretend to be a nurse or a Disney princess or Captain America or Batman. Like, who was that for you? I know for me, if I was fighting crime, I was Batman or Superman, right? If I was playing basketball, I was uh, Jason Kidd or Michael Jordan. If I was playing football, uh, if I was running the ball, I was Barry Sanders for sure. If I was a wide receiver, I was Jerry Rice all day long. And why do we look up to these people? Why did we pretend to be them when we were younger? Because in some type of way, we thought that they were special, that they were unique, that they had the kind of a character or job or, or qualities or, or heroism that we wanted to have. This is why we imitate people. And during this series, as we talk about the goat, the greatest of all time, we're bringing up stories of Jesus, the greatest. And we hope that you're looking at his life and you're saying, man, I want to be like him. I want to act like him. I want to do the things that he did. And we hope today is no different in that. You know, a, a song that was put out uh, about 21 years ago was uh, a song by Kenny Rogers called The Greatest. And it depicts this so well of, of a little boy who was uh, pretending to be the greatest baseball player of all time the greatest baseball player of all time. And, and, and with this young man, the this, this song goes like this. He's walking out into a field. He, he's got his baseball bat and baseball. And, and he says, I am the greatest there has ever been. And the ball goes up and the ball comes down. He swings the bat all the way around. And, and in that moment when he swings, you just think he's going to hit it. But no, strike one. But then he keeps singing. He he throws the ball up. He's like, I am the greatest there has ever been. The ball goes up. The ball comes down. He swings the bat all the way around. He misses again, right? And, and then you're, you're drawn into the song at this point. It's the last pitch, right? And, and he starts singing again. I am the greatest there has ever been. And the ball goes up and the ball comes down, swings the bat all the way around. That's strike Three. And, and when you hear this, you're just like, no, that's not what it's supposed to be like. He was supposed to hit the ball. And, and it says that his mom calls him in to dinner. And, and I, in my mind's eye, can just picture him like dragging the bat, his head down. But it doesn't go that way. He starts to sing again. I am the greatest there has ever been. But even I didn't know I could pitch that good. Right, you hear this and you're like, oh, that's awesome. Like this perspective of his failure in that moment, him feeling like I am the greatest still. He couldn't pitch that good. You know, today as we look at Jesus being the greatest of all time at being perfect, what I want us to do is, is look at that, but then also begin to consider our failures, the times that we don't measure up, the times that, that we mess up. And, and our mess ups, right? They're not always cute like this little kid who uh, missed the ball. Our mess ups are actually hard. 
It's failures where we fail other people and we sin before God. And my question is, have you stopped long enough lately and looked at the times that you haven't been perfect, right? They happen a lot. And have you stopped and said, I want to be serious about that. I want to be serious about being perfect, just like Jesus was perfect. Now, we need to talk about this word perfect for a moment. Because I think in our 21st century culture, we hear the word perfect and immediately our mind goes to, you got to look a certain way, dress a certain way, uh, drive the right kind of car. Like this is the image of perfect that, that we've put up for people. And that is not the cheap version of perfect that we're talking about here today. We are talking about how Jesus was perfect and sinless. His insights, he he had never done wrong before God. Now that is what perfect looks like. And that is the perfection that we're trying to get to in our lives. Jesus was perfect. And as I say that, some of you, you're nodding and you're agreeing with me. But the truth is, there's people that, that they're arguing that point. Was he really perfect? Did he really live a perfect and sinless life? You know, just a month ago, in July, a a CNN reporter, Don Lemon, had uh, said this in an an article. He he, he was uh, giving a talk and he said, admittedly, Jesus was not perfect when he was here on this earth. Admittedly, he wasn't perfect? Jesus never stood up in in the Bible and was like, hey guys, just want to let you know, I'm not perfect, right? Like, He didn't do that, but here's what he also didn't do. Jesus did not stand up and say, I'm perfect, follow me, do what I did. Now he did say, follow me, right? But he did not stand up and say, I'm perfect. And if he had, right, we might have something to question. Like, really, Jesus, you're just gonna stand up and and say it just like that. Just like the humble guy in the room doesn't stand up and say, I wanna let everybody know, I'm humble, right? Like Jesus wasn't doing that. But what we can do is we can look at the word, we can look at the Bible, and and we can see this eyewitness testimony where they are saying time and time again, man, look at Jesus. Look how he lived. He was perfect. See, there's lots of people that that may want to say he wasn't perfect, but I'm telling you, we have a mountain of evidence that I want to take you on a journey in today that says Jesus really is the greatest of all time at being perfect. So let's look at some of this stuff, right? I I just uh, immediately, I think about Jesus's baptism. When, when he was going to be baptized, all these other people were, were going to be baptized as well. But they, as they went into the water, were confessing their sins. But as Jesus went into the water, he had nothing to confess. He, he was starting his ministry off the way that God had called him to. And when he does get baptized, the, the skies, they part. And, and a dove comes down and, and God says from heaven, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. God's pleased with Jesus. And after Jesus' baptism, he goes into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days, right? Uh, 40 days fasting and being tempted. And, and get this, so he's not eating for these 40 days. You know hangry is a real thing, right? Where, where you're hungry and you're so hungry that you're getting angry, right? Like I can just imagine Jesus is weak on several levels and Satan himself is coming to Jesus and tempting him. But Jesus withstands all those tests. 
Jesus is perfect. And here's why this matters. We have to realize our faith is on the foundation of Jesus being perfect. Because if Jesus wasn't perfect, then he couldn't be a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Do you understand? He couldn't be a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Meaning that his death on the cross uh, is not the powerful death that it needs to be. Let me uh, explain Jesus's perfection then. If it's so important, let me explain it by us continuing on this journey by looking at the 24 hours of Jesus going to the cross and dying on that cross for for your sins and my sins. We're gonna look at that perfect sacrifice that he made for us. And we're also going to look at what people said about him around that time on the cross because it's powerful stuff. So first off, we, we know that Jesus's ministry was three and a half years and towards the end of his ministry, he's in the garden, he's praying and, and he knows what's coming. He's praying to God like, God, if there's any other way, but he's willing to walk the road that he needs to walk. And, and his disciples, they're sleeping except for one. One, Judas, the betrayer, who had been with him for those three and a half years, he, he goes into town and he, he gets the mob, he gets the soldiers and, and they're coming out to get Jesus. And they capture Jesus in that moment and, and they take Jesus back to the high priest and the Sanhedrin to, to begin to be put on trial. And, and that's where I want us to start today, uh, looking at these narratives. You see in, in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, uh, we see that the Sanhedrin, the high priest, they've been trying to get together some witnesses to be able to say, hey, Jesus really did do these bad things that we're saying that he did. But here's what it says in Matthew 26. It says, that they did not find any. They did not find any witnesses for Jesus to, to come against them. All they found was false witnesses. Then in Matthew 27, the very man Judas, who had led the crowd out to capture Jesus, who had spent three and a half years with Jesus, Judas himself in Matthew 27, he goes back to the very people who had paid him 30 pieces of of silver to do that bad deed. And he throws it back at them. And, And he confesses, he says, I have sinned. I have sinned. And he says this, and betrayed innocent blood. He's betrayed innocent blood. That's what he says about Jesus. He leads a mob out to get him. And then he says, he's innocent. And and as Jesus continues on this journey uh, of going uh, before different people uh, to to try to be convicted of his wrong, he's taken to Herod and he's taken to Pilate. And as he is at Pilate, Pilate is sitting on his judgment seat and, and Pilate's wife comes to him in Matthew 27. Pilate's wife says this about Jesus in this moment. He says this to him, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. Don't have anything to do with him. Pilate's wife had been having bad dreams and and she knows that something supernatural is happening. She's like, he's innocent. Don't have anything to do with him, right? Jesus had gone to Herod and Pilate and here's what Pilate had to say and Herod had to say about Jesus in Luke 23. They say this, Pilate says, I found no basis against him. Neither has Herod. That's why he sent him back, right? And then he says, he 
has done nothing to deserve death. And Pilate will say two other times in John chapter 18 uh, that, that he finds no basis for charge against them. In John chapter 19, he finds no basis of charge against Jesus. And even though Pilate had said, I don't think that he's guilty, his hands were tied. And he felt like, you know what? I've got to do this anyways, even though I think that he's innocent. I've got, to, I've, got, I've got to send him to his death. I want to ask you, have you ever been at that place where you know what the right thing you should do? You know what Jesus would want you to do, but you choose to go, around, or go along with the crowd or your sinful desires anyways, right? Like we've all been there, right? This is the sin in our lives. This is the temptation that comes after us. This is the temptation that we give into. And in this moment, Pilate sends Jesus to his death. Jesus is meant to carry his cross. He's bloodied from being beaten and whipped. And he carries the cross where he will be laid on that cross, crucified by being nailed to it and hung on that cross. And in Luke 23, we see once again that the thief on the cross who's hanging next to Jesus says to him this. He says, that they have gotten what they've deserved or punished justly, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man's done nothing wrong. Even the thief saw it. But maybe the cherry on top of all this, the the person who for me, when, when he says this, I'm like, wow, he must have realized who Jesus really was, was the centurion in Luke 23. Now, a Roman centurion, this means that he was in charge of a hundred soldiers. He was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. This means that quite likely, he was the one that was overseeing the whole crucifixion of Jesus. Imagine if that was part of your story. Yeah, I was the guy who, who kind of made it all happen, that Jesus would die. This guy stands before Jesus after it's all been done. He says this in Luke chapter 23. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. That could also be deciphered as as saying, surely this was an innocent man. And, And if this doesn't do it for you, hearing these eyewitness accounts from these people who saw Jesus and said, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's righteous, he didn't do anything wrong, then let's look at some of his closest followers. Peter, who, who was uh, one of his inner three who, who spent time with him in some of the deepest moments, says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, uh, this about Jesus. He, he committed... He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. John says in 1 John 3, 5, that no sin or that in him is no sin. That's what his closest follower John says. And probably my favorite in the New Testament comes from Hebrews chapter 4. Says this about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest a.k.a. Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. And here's why. Here's why he can empathize with us. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's who our Savior is. 
He was tempted just like you and I, yet he never sinned. People can say all, their want, all they want that Jesus admittedly wasn't perfect, but he was. History tells us, history proves to us by the narrative of the Bible and these eyewitness accounts that Jesus truly was perfect. And that is awesome news. It's awesome news because Jesus wasn't only perfect, but that allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice for you and I, which is exactly what we needed. Exactly what we needed by Jesus being the perfect goat, right? The greatest of all time of being perfect. He provided the perfect sacrifice. Let me explain it to you uh, in this way about how he was the perfect sacrifice. I'll explain it by telling you a story of a goat, okay? Now, this isn't like the greatest of all time. This is an actual goat. Uh, And it's really actually a, a bull and two goats, which sounds like a bad joke, but it's from Leviticus chapter 16, and it's actually really serious. It's Leviticus chapter 16, and and the high priest Aaron, we find out that once a year, there is this like somber time that happens. It's called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, it's the 10th day of the seventh month. All the Israelite people, they're reflecting on their sin from the previous year. They're thinking about the, the things that they've done wrong. And this is the day that they atone for it. Not by doing something themselves, but by something being sacrificed for them. And so uh, the people, they'll fast during that day, not eat at all. But then they'll, they'll also, they'll exchange their comfy clothes for sackcloth and rough, and rough clothes. And the, the priest, the high priest, Aaron at that time, he would take a bowl And he would kill this bull for the sins of the people that they unknowingly committed. And this is the one day out of the year that the high priest could go to the innermost parts of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where God resided uh, at that time. And, And he would take the blood of this sacrifice into the innermost part. And with his hands, he would sprinkle it on the altar. And, and he would give this blood to Jesus saying, This is payment for people's sins that they unknowingly did. And then he would go out and there would be the two goats and and he would uh, kill one of the goats. And as he sacrificed one of these goats, he he too would would take the blood from that goat and he he would take it into the Holy of Holies. And and with his hands, he he would sprinkle some of that on the innermost part of this temple as a sacrifice to God. And this was a sacrifice for the sins that the Israelite people knowingly did. And then he would go out and the the last goat's there, right? I'm sure he's scared at this point. And he he goes up to this last goat and he places his bloodstained hands on this goat. And and he begins to pray to God and, and, and ask God to put all the sins of the Israelite people onto this goat. And then there's somebody that would take this goat and lead it into the wilderness. And, and that goat is, is carrying the, 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 the trash of all the people's sins out into the wilderness. This is what they did in the Old Testament, but it wasn't good enough. It, 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 it didn't solve the real problem that was happening with our sin. And that's why Jesus had to come from heaven to earth. And, and that's why he was this, this perfect, sinless sacrifice. For you and I. See, Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats wasn't good enough. Let's look at what this says in Hebrews 
chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. It says this, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished. Do you hear that? Unblemished. He was perfect to God. How much more will it cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Jesus was perfect and he gave the perfect sacrifice for you and I. And when we see that example, just like when we were kids and and we saw the example of of some character, we wanted to act that out. When we see the example of Christ who went to the greatest lengths ever for you and I, it should cause us to say, I want to be like that. I want to be perfect like Jesus is perfect because he was admittedly, or he was undoubtedly, I'd say, perfect. So how do we be perfect like Jesus? I want to tell you three ways that we can be perfect like Jesus today. And and we're going to be camping out in Romans chapter 6 for these three points. So if you want to be perfect like Jesus, the first thing that you do is this. In order to be perfect like Jesus, then you have to take the perfect first step. You've got to take the perfect first step. So here's what I mean. If, If you want to be perfect like Jesus, then the perfect first step is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and getting baptized. Accept Jesus and then take the step of getting baptized. It's Jesus' sacrifice that makes you perfect. It's not what you can do, but it's his sacrifice. He was perfect. And he had the perfect sacrifice and his blood shed on the cross makes you perfect. So you turn to him and say, I've been sinful. I've been bad. I want to accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I love what Romans 6 uh, says in the first four verses. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of, our, of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love this. It says we, we died to sin. We died to it. And it says it wants us to, to live in Christ. That's what we get when we accept him. And then we take that next step of getting baptized. We get to live in Christ. See, Jesus is the one who makes you perfect. When you give your life to him, you become perfect. Your sins are forgiven. He has gone before you in the face of God. And he's saying, this is my child. Like they they get to get in. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. So what do we do? We take the the perfect first step. And then the second thing is this, that we make a perfect effort. We make a perfect effort. Man, I love football movies, right? And I remember hearing this coach in the movie say this. He said, you know what? You, You can't be perfect every time, but you can make a perfect effort 
And that resonated with me so much, right? Like they can't win every game, but what they can do is hit every play exactly with the perfect effort. Can't we do that in our walk with Jesus? See, when you hear be perfect like Jesus, uh, my fear is that you might think to yourself, how could I ever do that? I can't reach those standards. Like I'm too much of a failure. I mess up too often. But can you make a perfect effort? Let me help you understand a little bit better this way. Uh, imagine if I said, I want you to, to, I want to challenge you to run as fast as Usain Bolt, right? The fastest man in the world. And you actually were uh, dumb enough to take that challenge, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to start practicing every day. I'm going to watch my diet. I'm going to get the greatest coach in the world. And, and even with all of that, most likely, you would not be able to even come close to running as fast as him, right? Maybe only 0.1% of people might be able to attain that or get close to his type of speed. And, and so in the midst of that, you would probably give up pretty quick in this journey of trying to be like him. I don't want you to do that in your walk with Jesus. When I say make the perfect effort to running towards him, it's this beautiful thing where you wake up every day and you say, today I'm gonna try my hardest to pursue and follow after God. Look what it says in Romans chapter six, verse 11 through 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the law, but under grace. So what do we do when we're, we're, we're making a perfect effort? We remember first that we're dead to sin. It's not our master anymore. And, and here's what I want to encourage you. And here, here's kind of a, a uh, following Jesus hack for you, okay? Is you can follow Jesus better. You can make a perfect effort better by focusing on the do's instead of the don'ts. See, religion wants you to focus about all the things that you can't do. Don't, don't talk this way. Don't hang out with those people. Don't dress this way. Don't watch that. Don't listen to this. And, and those things, they are true, but we get so caught up in, in setting up all these laws and these rules and this religion that we fall into thinking that we become good when we just, you know, fall right in line like that. When Jesus really came and died so that he could have a relationship with you. And so when we focus on relationship instead of religion, then all of a sudden we find ourselves being more of the people that God wants us to be, right? So he wants you to focus on the do's. Look at this uh, passage that we just looked at. There's some don'ts and there's some do's. So the don'ts are this. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of yourself to sin as instruments of wickedness. Those are all good things. I encourage you to, to don't, don't do those things, right? But if we focus more on the do's, then all of a sudden it's easier for us to pursue God. So check this out. It says things like, uh, but rather uh, offer yourself to God. 
Offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. So here are some things that we can focus on the do's, right? You you think about, I'm going to love God and love others as I love myself. I'm going to do those things. And, And if you do things like go to your father in prayer, talking to him, sharing with him, if you do things like diving into his word, which is a gift to you, you're, you're going to find yourself being more and more like Jesus was. If you find yourself worshiping our Father in heaven, you're, you're going to find yourself uh, wanting to draw nearer and nearer to him, being in that sweet relationship where the Holy Spirit is guiding you and directing you. Right? If you're putting yourself in the position where you're serving other people, you're doing these things. You're finding yourself uh, making a perfect effort. So how do we be perfect like Jesus? We take the perfect first step. We make a perfect effort. And the last one is this, that we want to be forever perfect. And that happens when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we become forever perfect. Do you realize how awesome it is going to be in heaven? We get to be with Jesus. Oh, there's no more sin, no more pain. It is going to be the best place ever. In Romans 6, verse 23, it says this, for the wages of sin or the payment of sin is death. That's what we all deserve. We all deserve death. We all deserve to be separated from God. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you get that? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get to be with him forever in heaven. So we want to do these things. If you want to be perfect like Jesus is perfect, then what do we do? We take the perfect first step of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior and getting baptized. It was just a a week and a half ago that my daughter, Tinley, who's actually 10 years old today, but it was a week and a half ago that she came to my wife and I, and and she said, Mom, Dad, can I talk to you? We're like, yeah, babe, like, tell us, what what do you got? She's like, no, can, can we go back to your room and talk? And so we go back to our room, and we sit down on the end of the bed, and Tinley sits between us, and she says, I've been thinking a lot lately, and and I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in that moment, uh, my wife and I, our, our eyes meet, and, and there's just a smile that comes over our face. And we're just so proud of our little girl for wanting to make this decision to accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And, and so in that moment, right, in that moment, we, we get to talk her through it, and she gets to pray the prayer and make Jesus her Lord and Savior. But in that moment as well, Jesus made her perfect, Right? Jesus wiped out all of her sin. And now we're in conversation with Tinley about, about uh, getting baptized and, and she's um, getting closer and closer to wanting to be there. And we're just finding that right moment with her. But my question for you today is, have you taken the perfect first step? Maybe you've never really turned it all over to Jesus. And, and today, as you see the evidence stacking up, he really was the greatest of all time at being perfect. And he had a perfect sacrifice for you and I. And if you turn your life over to him today and said, Jesus, I'm sinful, but I need you, he will make you perfect. We've got pastors that are waiting online that, that would love to talk to you about that. 
where you could uh, get uh, online at generationcc.com, go to our online community. You could set up a time to meet with me or somebody else, and we could walk through that, or you could just do it right now at your own home, accepting Jesus into your heart. If you're saying, hey, I've already accepted Jesus, but I've never taken the step of getting baptized, what better time than this Saturday, right? Saturday, 7.30, Honeymoon Island. We're going to be at the beach, right? The North Beach. We're going to be gathering there, and people are going to be getting baptized. And you could be one of those people doing that. Man, I hope that you will let God lead in that area. Take the perfect first step. And for everybody who's already taken the perfect first step, and you're like, you know what? Now here's what I need to do. I need to make the perfect effort every single day. I need to do this for my Savior. Why? Because he deserves it, but because we want to be like Jesus. But here's the thing also. It's so easy to fall into knowing how to act religious and and act good and, and put on the face and the mask. But Jesus knows what's really going on in your heart. And he deserves for us to get up every day and try our best at not being good, but at doing the things he calls us to do. We want to focus on a relationship with him, not just following all the rules and laws. If you run after Jesus, you're going to do the right things. His Holy Spirit is leading you through this. So what are we going to do? We're going to be in his word. We're going to be in prayer. We're going to worship him. We're going to serve other people. This is what you're going to be about. And what better way to say, man, I'm kicking this off in a new way than joining us tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. I mean, the next 21 days, 6 a.m., we are getting up. We are worshiping Jesus together and saying, God, we're giving you the first part of this day. So if you're available, I encourage you, let's do this together as a church. Why? Because we're going to make a perfect effort to run after him. Will you do that with us? And lastly, one day, one day, one glorious day, we are going to be forever perfect in heaven with him. That is going to be an amazing time. And we're going to be up there together sometime, right? And we're going to get to be able to be with our Savior, just having an absolute blast. We're not going to worry about sin or temptation or pain or coronavirus. We're just going to be with our Savior, and it's going to be for eternity and amazing.